the Marlena Dietrich of our time. That's something I brag about. My insanity has benefited many people. So look out, baronets. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. Guess what? <laughs> what? It's time. It's time for Mailbag Fun Dust Up. <laughs> That's right. The thing that we made up a name for and then said, uh, everybody's fine with Poochie, right? That's right. I mean, Mailbag Fun Dust Up, it's, it's so obvious, really, yeah. in retrospect. What are we doing? Of, of course it's called the Mailbag Fun Dust yeah. Up. It's everybody's thing that they enjoy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Fun, dust, it's got everything. Mm-hmm. Bag, nail. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, not since the cup and ball have we been so entertained. <laughs> so we, uh, we've got a bunch of uh, telegrams. That's right. From y'all. That's right. That we're going to read out loud and then talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we hope that's fun. Because <laughs> it's, uh, it's in the name. Yeah. Well, it's, so it's, it's in the name. We're really kind of obligated to bring some fun here. We really are. So we'll try to be fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, if not, uh, just be nice to us, okay? <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, so we're reading these in chronological order for no reason other than I am insane. <laughs> and uh, it was very important to me that we do this. <laughs> sure. So uh, first, on January 11th. <laughs> for those keeping score at home. Probably at least three of them. <laughs> <laughs> They've got just this, you know, uh, 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 Matrix. No, like... A corkboard. Corkboard, thank you. I was like, <laughs> billboard, and then I couldn't get billboard out of my head, and there's just strings and index cards. Oh, yeah, and Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I was right both times. <laughs> uh, cousin Sally writes, Dear Cousins Kelly and Tom, first let me say that your podcast is one of the few sources of joy and humor in an otherwise dismal existence leading up to the commencement of the Trump dictatorship. <sighs> Were we ever so young? <laughs> Thank you for saving me from commutes filled with NPR reporters struggling to maintain a neutral tone while describing the latest delusional tweet or transition outrage. That said, I couldn't help noticing your comments regarding human resources during your recent podcast on episode one of The Crown. As the leader of a human resources department, I feel the need to defend the honor of hardworking and underappreciated HR professionals everywhere. We expect trash talk from most people, but not our intelligent and discerning cousins at Up Yours Downstairs. Yes, we in HR are sometimes forced to defend the illogical decisions of our employers. That said, more often, we are the only sane thing standing between employees and the arbitrary and dictatorial instincts of senior management. Think of how much better life would have been at Downton Abbey or Manderley with the intervention of a competent HR team. Lord and Lady OC would have received the benefit of a 360-degree feedback from their staff, which would have instantly eliminated the delusion that everybody liked them. Alfred and Carson would have received mandatory sensitivity training, which would have prevented all of the vile and unnecessary reactions about Thomas in Season 3. The downstairs team would also have really benefited from a fun team-building exercise, perhaps involving some union personality tests to (laughs) increase self-awareness and better appreciation of their colleagues, which might have reduced some of the tension between Bates and O'Brien. Admittedly, the HR team likely would have scrutinized the Bates-Anna relationship to see whether it violated the fraternation policy, but would breaking those two up have been so bad? The (laughs) HR department would have paid for Gwen's correspondence course and ensured that this high-potential employee remained at Downton Abbey pursuing her interests, perhaps in the estate management office. I'm pretty sure Gwen would have ferreted out the mismanagement several seasons before Matthew took it seriously. (laughs) Finally, with a little human resources-driven succession planning, do you think the family would have been scrambling to 
fill Carson's job with a historically spotty performer like Thomas? <laughs> with the right planning and training, Anna would have made an awesome butler after she returned from her six-month maternity leave per HR policy. I hope I've cleared some things up for you. Keep up the great work with the podcast. Fondly, Cousin Sally. Well... Thank you, Cousin Sally. I think we would both like to point out that that was mainly red. It was mainly red. That's <laughs> what we get for trusting a ginger. That's right. And, you know, in, in retrospect, I'm, I'm sure that Cousin Sally was not the only HR employee that listens to our podcast. And so I, I apologize to all of you, uh, Sally and others. I would like to say that I believe all HR departments are equally capable of good and evil. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They hold the balance. They don't really hold it. They merely <laughs> carry it out. Right. They, I mean, yeah. I, I have many great friends who are HR people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, I think it's a matter of the company you work for. Right. And how high a priority HR actually is versus just being like, let's just be cheerleaders for the company mm-hmm. and like make everybody a bandana for some reason. <laughs> I probably already talked about the bandana. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so i talk about that bandana a lot yeah but i mean when she talked about being sort of the shield it's like you know like toby on the office it's that sort of thing yeah you know there's a theory online that he was a scranton strangler <laughs> i i okay i don't know exactly what that means since we stopped watching the office as soon as it started to suck <laughs> that's right as is our want that's right uh season two yeah season two <laughs> um no it was season three Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Season two. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I yeah. will defend the episode Casino Night as one of the perfect episodes of television ever. Right. Yeah. God, it's so sad. Yes. Oh, God, it's so sad. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, but then, and I was actually having a great conversation with somebody else about this who also did not like Rashida Jones oh, on yeah. that show. Yeah. And I was like, I just hated the whole, like, Stamford or wherever the hell they were. Yeah. I just, yeah. yeah. So... So that's our that's our definitive opinion on the office. Yes, because uh, this is now an office mailbag. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so next on January eleventh, twenty seventeen. <laughs> also, if you're keeping score with your matrix on your cork board, uh, this is from cousin Doug. Dear Kelly and Tom, Happy New Year. Thanks for covering The Crown. Unlike your coverage of Series 4 of Mr. Selfridge, which eliminated the need for me to waste my time watching those episodes. Amen. Mm -hmm. Your coverage of The Crown finally got me to start watching these. It's tricky to know what to write, given that any information about these historical, in in some cases still living people, could count as spoilers. A few things about the first episode's podcast. One, you two and Red were talking about whether Winston and Clementine Churchill had children. I know they had at least one son. In the HBO film The Gathering Storm, he is played by what I assume is a teenaged Tom Hiddleston. Albert Finney stars as a far more believable Winston Churchill, and Vanessa Redgrave stars as his wife Clementine. <gasps> Clemmy! <laughs> The movie focuses on their relationship during the run-up to World War II. The son married Pamela Harriman, an Englishman who later divorced him and then pulled, of all things, a reverse buccaneer, marrying wealthy American men and becoming the United States ambassador to France under Bill Clinton. Two, your references to Wolf Hall reminded me of a bit of trivia regarding Queen Mary of Tech. She was sort of like Catherine of Aragon in that she was originally supposed to marry the older son of the king, in this case Albert, son of Edward VII. Albert was the prince some people believe was Jack the Ripper. By some people, I mean the people who believe the History Channel's Ancient Aliens series is plausible. (laughs) Albert died before the wedding, and I guess the royal family's attitude was that there was another brother and waste not, want not. Anyway, the younger brother married her and then became George V, the father of King Lane Price. I'd go into more detail, but there are already so many Edwards, Alberts, and Georges. 
<laughs> I was tempted to repair to refer to this pair as jaunty and guy. <laughs> Manor House rules. Mr. Selfridge's drools. <laughs> Three, your mention of Toby Jones when talking about Capote made me think of his most recent work, The Witness for the Prosecution, which aired on the BBC this Christmas. It is an adaptation of an Agatha Christie short story. Unlike the movie from the 1960s, which is set in post-World War II London and stars Marlena Dietrich, the 2016 version is set after World War I and features Kim Cattrall, (laughs) the Marlena Dietrich of our time. That's right. As I've always said. The after effects of the war are depicted here far more harshly and probably more realistically than they were in Downton Abbey or even Parade's End. It's almost the wind that shakes the barley dark. Just think, this is what people in the UK were watching while people in the US were watching the annual marathon of A Christmas Story. <laughs> Looking forward to episode two. Good luck with your job search. Your cousin, Doug. Wow, this is when I didn't have a job. <laughs> yeah. That's a fun reminder. That's right. My, how times have changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, this was a... Yeah. They're all great. Right. They're all fun. Yeah. Um, um, I One, uh, just talking about the British royal family marrying things, I just wanted to call out an uh, uh, Onion headline this week. Queen Elizabeth attempts to restore diplomatic relations by arranging marriages for her great-grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, two, I saw something somewhere that was a picture of Gary Oldman in makeup as Winston Churchill. Uh, I assume it's for an actual project, but, like, I scrolled past it and didn't look into it. I mean, he's pretty, like, far right. He might have just been cosplaying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it's just what I do for fun. <laughs> uh, but I would be into that because I always enjoy Gary Oldman performing in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Great. So uh, if any of you out there is you know, knows if that's a real thing, <laughs> let me know, because I apparently uh, can't be bothered to figure that out. I have become real info-lazy. Like, yeah. I'm just like, ah. Like, for a while there in my 20s, I was just excited to look everything up, you know? But now, now I just, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Now I just get excited to go to bed every day <laughs> where nothing matters. It's, uh, uh Yeah. Growing old so great. <laughs> Look, I just got a crown put on my tooth. That part is less great. Yeah. Uh, my face, that's less great. Um, I Yeah, I was uh, being semi-ironic. Oh, only semi-ironic. <laughs> that's right. I feel like my ironometer's all off. <laughs> Be that as it may. Yes. Our next telegram, ooh, this one. Did not arrive until Tuesday, January 24th, 2017. So, <laughs> people were slacking. <laughs> Cousin Barbara writes, Dear Kelly and Tom, I recently listened to a second run-through on all your Downton Abbey recaps since I've been taking several five-hour round trips taking care of family medical issues. Recently, I ran out of recaps and was also missing watching costume dramas. I watched a couple episodes of Victoria and eagerly looked to see if you guys were covering it. You weren't, but I noticed you were recapping The Crown. This resulted in me reactivating my long dormant Netflix account so I could watch the show along with you and enjoy my beloved recaps afterward. So you're now dictating my watching habits. (laughs) Eventually, I will need to go back and watch other shows such as Mr. Selfridge so I can have the joys of those two. But I draw the line at Titanic. I tried. I really tried to watch it. Not even for your recaps could I get that thing done. Look. Yeah. No harm, no foul. That's right. It was terrible. As it's, it's the only thing we've really like bailed out on. Yeah. On the recap, no. Uh, there was that one weird thing, that Irish thing. 
Oh, yeah, that. Well, that was just on, like. That was unwatchable. Yeah, that was, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> let's finish, let's finish the mailbag, then, the, part, <laughs> right. then the dust stuff. Okay, there's a, there's a process. Okay, here. yeah. It's not just a random name, people, it's a structure. <laughs> Part of the matrix that we have here. <laughs> That's right. On the recap of episode one of The Crown, Kelly wondered if there were any listeners who have read The Royal We ten times. Yes. Yes, there are. <laughs> Especially if you count also listening to it in audiobook form. The narrator is very good, and it's definitely worth a download. Ten times is, I think, a low estimate for me. I have no idea why I am set, I am obsessed with that book, but I am really hoping for a sequel. I have also enclosed a picture of my kitten, Clive, who was named for that Clive in the book. He is very loving and sweet, but you never know what he's going to do next, and he can be a real asshole at times. So, Clive. <laughs> so, yes, you are now directing my costume drama viewing. Keep up the entertainment. I have four aging parents, a modern family of divorcees, and it looks like there are a lot of road trips in my future. And if you are still collecting cousins, sign me, Cousin Barbara. Thank you, Barbara. Yes. Okay. So, I did after getting this, or actually, maybe before, because mm-hmm. I listened to the Royal We on a road trip to Los Angeles and back, mm-hmm. and it is phenomenal. Like, okay. The woman who does all the voices is great. Uh, and I just, I just love it. Every mm-hmm. time I love it, I know that I never stop talking about it, but mm-hmm. I just love that book so much. Okay. Um, I would also direct people, uh, to an insane interview with Bronson Pinchot about doing audiobooks. I don't remember what site it is. Hopefully if you just is Google that, it was, it was probably a year ago that I read like, it. What's insane about it? Him. He is Great. insane. Okay. Yes. I was like, is it that recording <laughs> audiobooks is insane? Because I could buy that, but I would much more buy that Bronson Pinchot is yes. crazy. That is that is what it is, and uh it's it's worth a read. Everybody funny. Mm-hmm. I may end up reading the Royal We. I mean like it's just so in my life. Oh, hey, listen, spoilers. This is the thing. Uh you oh. saw the Winston Churchill photo of Gary Oldman in this telegram that you just printed. Thank off. you. Uh, thank you for using time travel to answer the question I just posed. Speaking of time travel, <laughs> Cousin Linda's telegram came on Saturday, January 28th, 2017 at 2.34 p.m. <laughs> Pacific time. So glad you are doing a podcast on The Crown. I've missed you both since DA ended. I just started watching The Crown when I saw you were doing the podcast. I'm a little behind. So are we still cousins, subjects, snackaholics? <laughs> Never will you be a snackaholic. That's right. I found a reference to a snag as an old Australian term for a small meal or snack. Maybe the lieutenant commander was bored by picking curtains and beginning to eat too much. It could also mean sausage. Not going there. <laughs> you were right about Lady Shackleton. After listening to the podcast, I noticed when Winston said what this country needs is several years, the smile just vanished from her face at the word several. Winston and Clementine had children. If it comes up, Winnie the Pooh was probably not named after Churchill. (laughs) The reported story is the character was named after a bear in the zoo who was named after Winnipeg. His mother, Jenny Jerome, was a buccaneer like Lady Grantham. Winston is supposed to have written heartbreaking letters from school begging to come home. Jenny's response was, suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) She would probably have written that to him if she had taken the time to write back. (laughs) Gary Oldman is just finishing a film, Darkest Hour, where he will be Churchill. Have a peek. He looks just like Winston Churchill Mm -hmm. in this picture. Yeah. The picture is the one thing I had seen. So, yes. (laughs) 
After the do come to Sandringham and we'll hook up during Christmas breakfast, the Queen Mother gets up from the table and says, if I were asked, I'd want my husband home for Christmas with his children. She poked Margaret when she said with his children. She probably wasn't oblivious. She was a mother and aware that making Pete Townsend off limits would make him that much more enticing. Oh, this was before we decided that he was invariably (laughs) group Group captain Captain Peter Peter Townsend. Townsend. Yes. The Queen Mother was Elizabeth Bowes Lyon. She grew up on an estate like Downton, and her home was used as a hospital during World War I. She and her sisters helped care for soldiers recovering there. One brother was killed in the war, and another was a prisoner of war. Her biography, The Queen Mother, by William Shawcross, is very good. The King's Speech. Really? I think she's referring to the fact that we have not seen it and do not feel interested. <laughs> I loved it. She complains to Bertie that Wallace Simpson calls her the fat Scottish cook. Elizabeth, you know she calls me the fat Scottish cook. Bertie, you're not fat. Elizabeth, I'm getting plump. Bertie, well, you seldom cook. (laughs) And if you want to know where and up goes the Duchess and down comes the Duchess comes from, you'll just have to see the movie. I'm sure even without a speech impediment, the king would have sought out dirty limericks. Who are we kidding? Cousin Linda. All right. That was very informative. It was, yes. I feel like I had something to say in the middle of it, and now I've forgotten what it was. Well, and, you know, everybody's pointing out, you know, Winston Churchill having kids or not having kids. Right. We, you know, eventually learned that he had five. Yeah, obviously. In the show. That's right. Yeah, as it turns out. But we had no way of knowing. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Next up comes a telegram from cousin laura sent on wednesday february 21st 2017 dear kelly and tom as i have been enjoying your recap of the crown i have heard your ever-growing disdain for the monarchy now i am an american liberal who believes in democracy but as i am an avid fan of history and especially of royal history it is a much more complicated process to get rid of the royal family i wouldn't say i was pro monarch I wouldn't say I was a pro-monarchist, but I wouldn't say I was an anti-monarchist either. Just a person who knows the advantages and disadvantages of both sides. I just think there are some issues to tackle if you do throw them off the face of the earth. Part of it is continued in a video made by C.G.P. Gray on YouTube. Uh, This is an audio podcast, so I can't. Uh, while I do agree they should live in a less lavish lifestyle, it's hard to predict if the good things they do bring the country, such as tourism and voluntarily giving up revenue from their land, will change for the worse if they are all of a sudden thrown out. I do think once the older folks die out, William will try to live more moderately. He and Kate seem like down-to-earth people who were like, Jesus, do I really have to be king? Can I not? It literally killed my mom. Although the real problem is more with the aristocracies. The aristocracy. The lords and dukes didn't like Edward VIII because he was trying to change the monarchy to modern standards, and they were delighted when he wanted to marry Simpson because it was an easy way to get rid of him. William might have the same uphill battle, too. It really depends how much the lords and dukes have changed in the past decade or so. I mean, we saw some of them in Manor House, but they could change for the better or pass the title on to a younger and more liberal chap. William might want to change things, but others might not let him. And at that point, it's the monarchy being trapped in itself because other rich people benefit from its existence. To get rid of the monarchy is also getting rid of the established aristocracy. I sometimes feel sorry for William and Kate, although I know they have everything that they will ever need. They still have, they are still trapped and have the ever-present duty to fulfill, and if they try to change, others might try to stop them. Sincerely, Cousin Laura of the Bay Area. Yeah, and I mean, I would say I don't, you know, my my dislike of the monarchy is in no way – I don't have any particular issue with the royals themselves as people. They were, you know, born into the job. I do. They know what they did. <laughs> well, that's fair. I haven't read the royal we, yeah, so I don't you know. you sure haven't. <laughs> um, 
It's okay. I'm reading for like at least six people. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, again, like there's, there's almost no other position in the world like British monarch that you're born into and that is that prominent. Yeah. I, you know, like, you know, maybe like emperor of Japan, you know, there's a couple others, but mm-hmm. like, you know. Yeah. Most of the other monarchies have like taken it down several notches. Yeah. Well, that's when I was reading about the coronation, like other, they're the only European monarch that has like a real coronation ceremony. Oh, like wow. that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I still don't think there should be a monarchy. And I think that, you know, the tourism is for all the old stuff. You know, it's not like, I'm not saying get rid of Buckingham Palace or anything else, you know, keep them around as relics of an outdated institution. But, you know, I certainly, you know. I'm anti-monarchy, pro the royal we. <laughs> Fair enough. And yeah, I'd also be fine with getting rid of the aristocracy as well. Oh, I would be way more in favor of getting rid of the aristocracy than I would the monarchy. Yeah. Maybe let's start with that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start there and work our way up. <laughs> our next telegram. So look out, baronets. <laughs> <laughs> baronets are the literal worst. <laughs> like, both in terms of how I feel about them <laughs> and in terms of the ranking. That's right. <laughs> Uh, our next telegram comes from um, uh, cousin Amanda, Thursday, February, tw- uh, bah. <laughs> Thursday, February 2nd. What ho, cousins! It is I, the Viscountess of Greenbank, purveyor of fictional track listings of the utmost quality and hilarity, writing in for the first time in a while. Like, way too long. I don't have a track listing prepared yet, unfortunately, but I want to let you know how jolly delighted I am to hear your coverage of The Crown and, with a new era, the return of Tom repeats history and fashion backwards, which I have so very much missed. Not much meat to this correspondence. So this, this came before we started really half ass you know? <laughs> Be quiet. Some people might not know. <laughs> Not much meat to this correspondence, really, but I've been meaning to write in for weeks about the children, specifically the young and infant boys on Mr. Selfridge wearing what appear to be dresses. Forward thinking, as that seems in today's society, the history of infant boys wearing dresses goes back many, many years, and it was actually a pretty universal thing in European history. Look at many old portraits, mid-16th to early 20th century, and pretty much up until the 30s, you'll find all the infants and 16th to 18th century ones, even older boys, are wearing gowns. Infant gowns were long, extending past the feet. As the children learned to walk, the gowns were shortened, referred to as short gowns, astonishingly, (laughs) note sarcasm, and were fitted with lead strings attached to the shoulders of the gown. Parents would hold the lead strings as their children were learning to walk. Most of us raised in religious backgrounds, particularly those that place an emphasis on infant baptism, are familiar with the christening crown, which is a reminder of this trend. When a boy reached an age where he could easily put on an unfastened trousers on his own, he was then presented with said garment. This occasion was called breaching and became a rite of passage of shorts. Of sorts. But that's hilarious. Most boys were breached between the ages of five and eight. Breaching age was gradually bumped down until the 19th century, at which point the common breaching age was two or three. Though I'm sure you've already received letters about this, I should think myself negligent if I didn't write in and share this. Your fond cousin, Lady Amanda. I did know about infants wearing dresses, but I wasn't yeah. aware of the breaching ceremony, right. so that's interesting. And also, you know, I mean, I the sort of portraits she's referring to, I mean, I've seen those, you know, I just thought it was like, I thought it had died out way sooner. I've looked at them, but I'm not sure I've seen them. <laughs> I've been looking at a lot of paintings the past year or two for some reason. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no. It's, I'm glad. It's very enjoyable. Yeah. 
Our next telegram comes from Cousin Megan, uh, sent in on Saturday, February 4th, 2017 at 11.51 p.m. <laughs> Didn't think I was going to do the timestamps anymore, oh, yeah. but I did. It crossed me up. Hi, Kelly and Tom. I love your show and have been listening since the beginning. I haven't written to you guys since 2013, but your recent coverage of The Crown made me want to write and say that A, I love that you're covering The Crown, and B, on the Season 1 Episode 4 recap, you mentioned that the way Queen Elizabeth gets paid is from the taxpayers. I've read a biography about her recently, and I got a different impression, that the Queen's income is from the revenue from her private property, as well as the hugely lucrative Crown estate that was given hundreds of years ago from the monarch to the British government, with the understanding that the monarchy would continue to be funded from a portion of the revenue from those properties. I'd be fascinated to hear you guys do a history section on this topic if it interests you. Whoops. <laughs> I seem to remember that the Queen's finances have come under scrutiny during hard economic times in Britain. The relationship between the royal family and the British people is something that I think we Americans struggle to fully understand, and I find it interesting to learn about the push and pull between the Queen and her subjects throughout her long reign. Thanks again for the fun show. Any chance you'll watch slash recap Victoria? I'm not sure if you're still sticking to the Edwardian area, era, but I thought Victoria was quite good. Thanks, Cousin Megan. It seems like we're not going to do Victoria. Yeah. Like, it seems like we're not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, my mom likes it. Um, it's got that going for it. people have liked it. Yeah. I just, I don't feel motivated. I, it may just be monarchy burnout. Yeah, that's probably a factor. Um, and I will say I actually am, you know, I, I may go, obviously, not going to do a segment on it at mm-hmm. this point, but I, I may go look that up for my own edification about go exactly how that how that funding works. Well, guess what? I'm plumb out of mailbag. Oh, no. I got no more emails. Good news. <gasps> I've got a bunch of emails. What a dust up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, so we've moved on to Monday, February 13th, 2017. Wow, what a time. <laughs> And this comes from Cousin Krista, who writes, Dearest Cousins, I'm writing to share that my husband and I often, and happily, sleep in separate rooms. There are several reasons. First, we are frequently on very different sleep schedules, and both have difficulty falling asleep waiting for the other to come into the bedroom. I'm convinced by the way my husband responds to being woken by a noise that he has a past-life POW story. (laughs) Second, both of us twitch as we start to fall asleep, sometimes actually hitting the other by accident. Heat is also an issue. While it's nice in the first few minutes in these cold Pennsylvania winters, we both soon generate so much body heat we can't fall asleep. Last but not least, I moved in with him six years ago when he had just spent a ridiculous amount of money on a tempur bed, which I don't enjoy. I know. White people problems. <laughs> the pillow-top queen mattress in the spare bedroom is all I think about after a long day on my feet. I know we are supposed to feel insecure or strange about this, but we don't at all anymore. We both want each other to get the best rest possible, and as Tom said, that happens to be in separate beds. We will frequently cuddle for a few minutes before one of us goes to our preferred bed. We are very happily married. He's my best friend in the world. However, we know that people will think this means something. I'm here to tell you we are out there. There are dozens of us. <laughs> dozens. <laughs> Sincerely yours, years of listening, laughter, and tears, Cousin Krista in Philadelphia. P.S. Have you caught any episodes of our Lady Mary on good behavior. Not a recommendation for the show per se, just a recommendation to see her do something entirely different. Uh, so the last question first. No, I really do keep meaning to just watch an episode I or was two. Because I feel like you actually like said something to me. Like I, you know, I'm gonna check this out. Yeah, but. and I, you know, and I'll see commercials for it. And I'll be like, oh yeah, I should do that. But I just just haven't. Story of my life right now. Yeah, I just like you know, I keep seeing. I have these like seat cushions on my chairs. 
that I ripped the tags off of. Uh-huh. And I just have them, like, safety pinned close. <laughs> I didn't realize it was going to, like, create a hole. It was a load-bearing tag. It was a load-bearing tag. <laughs> yeah. And I have, like, a little sewing kit that I bought specifically to, like, stitch it up. Mm-hmm. I just keep not doing it. Yeah. So every day I walk into my room <laughs> that's my living room and dining room, and I'm like, why don't I just do this? <laughs> oh, I understand. I, uh had a party here last night actually and uh for the two weeks prior to it i was like i should do a little clean you know get some of the cleaning out of the way so i don't have to do everything on the day of the you know and then noon on noon yesterday i'm like i have not cleaned at all i have six hours yeah i mean i've been pretty clean which is good yeah um i also don't have that many possessions right now (laughs) yeah Uh, so that helps yeah sure (laughs) um Moving on, uh, once again, Monday, February 13th, once again on a similar topic, <gasps> Cousin Nicole writes, hey on your last podcast, you asked if there were folks who slept separate from their spouses. Well, I never thought I would be one of them, but my husband and I sleep in separate beds. We have a nine-month-old, and pregnancy made me snort... And pregnancy made me start to snore when I never had before. And it didn't go away after she was born. It's horrible. My husband gets up early in the morning for work, and I stay home with the baby. And so baby and I sleep in one room, and I take care of her in the night while my husband sleeps in another room. Honestly, it's kind of awesome. We cuddle slash do married things in his room before we fall asleep and then meet up in his or my bed in the morning for family cuddles. My husband has always needed more sleep than me, so this gives me alone time in my own bed and a nice huge bed to sleep in. Our marriage is hanging in there pretty well, aside from the typical BS when we want to scream at each other. We try not to because of the baby. Anyway, thanks for the show. I was a big Downton fan and enjoyed your guys back then. I'm not watching The Crown, but still listen because ba- because it's great background while I'm home alone all day. Have a great day. Nicole. Thanks, Nicole. Yeah. So a different perspective on sleeping in separate beds, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, so it's a it's a thing. Yeah. So uh, if any of you out there uh, feel alone, you should not. Yeah. It's... Even though you're sleeping alone, you're not. <laughs> That's right. You're united in your aloneness. <laughs> Next up, still Monday, th- February thirteenth, two thousand seventeen. <sighs> What a day. It was quite a day. Very busy. <laughs> Everybody was uh, getting their things in before Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah, yeah that's so true. That was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, cousin Jonathan writes, Hi, cousin. I'm not going to be nosy. I'm just dropping a line. Your podcast has been one of the best regular things in my life lately. Not in a super sad way, but in a you two are uh, the best for real way. Kelly, two things. One, I'm 10 months sober as of this last week, and I don't slash won't pretend to know the circumstances or the similarities, but as someone going through it now, I was throwing so many snaps of appreciation at your comments at the top of your latest podcast. I needed that. Also, did I just assume, make conclusions? Whatever. You sound happier, and that's great. Also, your Valley of the Dolls reference made me spit my 0% juice lemonade out on my computer at work, causing my boss to give me a particularly disapproving look, considering last week I asked to be moved to a different desk because the chucklehead behind me won't stop burping. <laughs> Keep it up, y'all. Jonathan. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Yeah. I am, uh, I'm glad you found my sobriety chatter helpful. Yes. And uh, you stay tuned. There are more Valley of Dolls references in the future. Oh, There's there <laughs> no doubt about that. <laughs> Yes, Mother, I am doing my bust exercises. <laughs> Next, Valentine, Valentine's Day being over, Wednesday, <gasps> February 15th, 2017. Cousin Lucinda writes, Dear Cousins Kelly and Tom, Like a lot of Americans, I've had to cut back significantly on my news and commentary consumption since the election. 
I was in the middle of rewatching Mr. Selfridge when I heard about your podcast, and I've been rewatching Mr. Selfridge and Downton Abbey with the aid of your back catalog ever since. It's been ever so helpful in keeping me from wallowing in red state despair, so thank you for that. But the main reason I'm writing in today is to refute the notion, often argued on this podcast, that the monarchy is a pointless drain on the British taxpayer. Sure, since absolute monarchy is a thing of the past, the royal family does very little and lives like, well, kings, off the backs of Joe and Julie taxpayer. But don't forget, the royals are landed gentry, and that land doesn't go away or become public land just because the sovereign owns it. In the 1760s, King George III, yes, that King George III, not the other King George III, of course. (laughs) quiet you <laughs> i mean i guess there's probably been other king george the thirds out there hey hey sorry <laughs> fun mental <stuff>. okay sorry <laughs> uh found himself like lord grantham after the canadian grand trunk railroad went belly up long on land and short on cash so he made a deal with parliament that he would give up the annual revenues on all his land in exchange for a yearly allowance Every British monarch since has made a similar agreement, and it has proved quite a lucrative arrangement for the nation, as the taxpayer money spent maintaining the royal family is far outweighed by the revenue brought in by the royal family's land. Giving up the monarchy would actually cost British taxpayers money. But more than that, the British monarchy is a huge cash cow for the nation in tourism. London is consistently at or near the top of this list of the world's most visited cities, and the presence of a real, current royal family arguably has a lot to do with that. There's just something magical about visiting a kingdom, and the British economy benefits enormously from the continued presence of the hereditary monarchy. I hope this clears some things up, and I look forward to spending more time with you in the future. And I especially can't wait to hear your reaction to the end of The Crown, Episode 7. Yours sincerely, Cousin Lucinda. Tighten your belt! (laughs) That was a good impression of me doing an impression of the Artful Porter, Tom. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and... Well, hey, see, you didn't even have to, uh, look it up. This has been really great. I know, I... time we've been like, <laughs> hmm, we want to look into that. Some cousin, see, and this is why we did it in chronological order. That's right. You, I could, thank you. <laughs> hey, listen, my insanity has benefited many people over the years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which one was episode seven? Uh, Scientasia oh, okay. Principia. <laughs> Fun dust up? Yeah! <laughs> it's the one where she was like, hey, uh, you know, quit Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the, yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So we hope you enjoyed our reaction then, <laughs> since the reaction now, about a sequel. <laughs> That's right. It's not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, time keep on, keeps on slipping. Slipping into March 6, 2017. Oh, what a gap. <laughs> That's right. Although this always happens. People are always a lot more chatty at the beginning of a season. Indeed. The yeah. more you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes sense. They become beaten down by whatever show we're watching and they stop writing it. <laughs> Understandable. Uh, Cousin Ala writes, Hello, Kelly and Tom. I hope all is well. First, thank you so much for continuing the podcast despite the change in relationship. I enjoy you guys so much. So in the first recap of The Crown, Red Scott mentioned that Tom had a doppelganger on the show, which seemed like an inside joke of his own at the time. I forgot about it until I watched Crown's episode 9. Porchy came on the screen, and after some thought, I realized that he looked a lot like Tom. Is this what Red was talking about? I asked myself. Then, in the recap of episode 9, you guys didn't say anything about it. Am I wrong about the resemblance? I've only seen pictures of Tom online, so maybe I'm wrong. Now I feel like I sound like a stalker. <laughs> Sorry. Doppelgangers just fascinate me. Any thoughts on this, guys? Love, Allah. 
So, yes, obviously, if you listen to episode 10. Tom's so mad. <laughs> like, you can barely tell, but I can tell. He's so mad. Uh, so, basically, the conclusion is, it was an inside joke of Red's the whole time, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> You're so mad! You're like the Mad River! Because, <laughs> like, I get it. I totally get I get what Red's saying, mm-hmm. but I don't think we're not in doppelganger territory. Right. Yeah. Like we're in facial similarity territory. Yes. But like I would not I would not know. Yeah. Also uh, I've never I I get did you wear a tux at our wedding or was it just one of those nice suits? I think it was a tuxedo. I can't remember what happened. Um I wore a white tux to prom. Ooh. A uh, white tux? Uh I left it too late and they were a lot of other tuxes. <laughs> I believe this is the first you've ever mentioned that. It's and it's probably for the best. Yeah, because that is some shameful shit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> White not, tucks. That's something I brag about. Uh, as well, you should. <laughs> no, indeed. There's nothing to brag about. A well, I think you know what. I think if you're not a white person wearing a white tux, <laughs> so bad. Yeah, I could see that. But you're pretty white. I'm quite right. As I'm, I am definitely as white as Porchy. I'll yeah. grant you oh, that. Oh, yeah. You're very white. <laughs> uh, yeah. Be confused with Barry White, who is black. <laughs> uh, and anybody who wants to be stalking me online, I guess go for it. Uh, you know, I could use the, the validation. Yeah, he's single, buddy. That's right. <laughs> Shoot your shot. <laughs> Don't throw it away. <laughs> oh, my God. Remember how we're going to see Hamilton? I, I do. It's coming up. Yeah. Like, 23 days <laughs> excellent yeah we should do a podcast about it we should we'll actually talk all about hamilton we will <gasps> so i'll uh, look forward to that podcast that we just realized we're doing yeah. <laughs> it might just be on patreon <laughs> uh next we travel to tuesday march 14th 2017 uh, cousin christine uh subject line my pal the queen mother the email begins my husband always calls her that <laughs> When I was in college nearly 40 years ago, yikes, I saw a sign at the financial aid office advertising a summer program in Great Britain called Winnant Clayton Volunteers, or possibly Winant. I don't know. I think Winant. It was an exchange program between the United States and Great Britain that was started during the World War II years by U.S. Ambassador John Winant and the Reverend Philip Tubby Clayton, who was the private chaplain to the Queen Mother, who was also an Elizabeth, surnamed Bowles, and the Queen at the time. Its mission was to help rebuild impoverished areas and do community service in post-war Britain. Fast forward to 1978. Although some of my friends were assigned to soup kitchens in London, my assignment was at a YMCA in Glenroths, Scotland. Glenrothes? Glenroths? I have no idea why you're looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm the only other person here. Right. But you know I can't help you with Scotland. <laughs> if our relationship has taught me anything... <laughs> Where I worked as a recreation leader with the cutest kids. I couldn't understand what in the world they were saying most of the time, but it was heaps of fun, truly. As part of the program, we were all ba- we were all bussed down to London to have tea at Clarence House <gasps> with, you guessed it, my pal, the Queen Mother. <gasps> On the way there, my friend got a run in her pantyhose and we had to stop and buy another pair, hence our being late and missing the receiving line, which must have included instructions on comportment with royalty. So on that little detail, my whole story turns. Here's the scene. Me entering Clarence House, which is about 400 yards from Buckingham Palace, four stories high, alabaster white, fancy portico, and, pl- and flying the Union Jack. 
Men in red livery and powdered white wigs? Yes, sirree. Check my invitation in the hallway. I remember that the walls were covered with huge portraits of Prince Charles and other royals whom I couldn't identify at the time because my brain was flooding. One of these powdered wig gents carried a huge silver tray, shoulder high, with cocktails galore. Not a speck of tea in sight, to the best of my recollection. <laughs> but maybe there was tea, and I was just too nervous to notice. When I'm nervous, I tend to get more bold and extroverted than I am by nature to compensate for my fear. This is what happened. Since I'm tall and my friend was not, she asked if I could spot the Queen Mother among the crowd of invited young people. I told her, just look out for a short older lady with a lot of jewelry. Sure enough, I spotted a lady with a diamond ER brooch surrounded by women that I later learned were her ladies-in-waiting. I dragged my friend along and fearlessly introduced myself. I told the Queen Mother that I was from Chicago, and I asked her if she had ever been. She said that her daughter was there in the 1950s. I told her excitedly that, yes, my mother took my older sisters downtown to see the Queen in the parade, but I was too little, and I didn't get to go. Then I added, you should go to Chicago sometime. You'd like it. At this point, the conversation lagged, and I left her in peace, but not for long. (laughs) After some cucumber sandwiches and probably a cocktail or two, I spied the queen mum sitting on a floral chintz chair, again surrounded by the ladies-in-waiting. I casually strolled nearby and plopped down on the carpet, literally at her feet. Thus began my real conversation. I told her what a lovely time I was having. And by the way, I recently met a boy from Texas who's really smart and really kind, but I'm not sure how I feel about him. I asked her if she knew and was it love at first sight for her and her husband. I forgot all about the fact that they were queens and kings and royal marriages were not necessarily based on love. I guess I thought that since she was older and had a lot more life experiences than I had, I could get some good advice. And bless her, she did not disappoint. She told me that she came around to loving her husband deeply, and she said, follow your heart, my dear, follow your heart. And so I did, and it still brings a tear to my eye to think that I married my Luke on advice from the Queen of England. Thank you both for all the years of podcasting, Kelly and Tom. You two bring a lot of joy to a lot of people. Sincerely, Christine. Like... I don't want to be hyperbolic. <laughs> that might be the best telegram we've ever received. It might be. That is so wonderful. Yes. And I just, what a great story. Yeah. And what yeah. a happy ending. Yes. And I just thank you so much for sharing that, Christine. Mm-hmm. It is just wonderful. Yeah. I, I don't even, I don't even have any dust up. <laughs> yeah. Although I think we both have some dust in our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. No, that's, that, that was really nice. Uh, yeah. I guess, uh, I guess the only uh, John Wynan, I think he would have succeeded Joe Kennedy, who uh, was the ambassador to Britain. Also a bootlegger. Yes, a bootlegger, and then kind of kicked out of that because he was too sympathetic to the Nazis, um, <laughs> as I recall. I could be getting that wrong. I know he was on. The, he may have just been isolationist. Wait, who? Joe Kennedy? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought he hated Nazis. I'm sure. I mean, after the war, everybody hated Nazis. They had to. Prominent Nazis. <laughs> Prominent Nazis. Yeah, so um, that pretty much brings to a close our coverage of The Crown. And the mailbag. And, well, for now. <laughs> That's right. There'll be more mailbag to come. There will. There will be more fun. There'll be more dust. <sighs> what a time. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and thanks to everybody who wrote in. You know, yeah. We always love hearing from you. We, we don't always get back to you yeah. because, you know, uh, life, it's right. bigger. <laughs> it's bigger than you, and you are not me. 
<laughs> yeah, and there are also a handful of other people that we did not read because they were just sending us suggestions for things we might like. Or they were like on, you know, way, way in the back catalog. Right. So, um, so like those messages are also read and appreciated. Mm-hmm. We just weren't appropriate for this particular dust up. Uh, but by all means, if you want to send us a recommendation, we'll, uh, you know. We'll think about it. That's right. And uh, speaking of which, uh, we are going to start covering Pride and Prejudice at some point. Yes. I don't know when. We are figuring that out. <laughs> That's right. We have one copy of the DVD. Yeah. We live in two different places now, and I don't have a DVD player. <laughs> so, so we should discuss this after we're done with this episode. We should We should do that, uh, yes. But we also have a new reward on our Patreon. If we reach $750 in pledges, we will cover five Maggie Smiths, yes. five films featuring our girl Mags. Mm-hmm. We don't know which films yet. I mean, right. I, I, I think, think we've settled on the Hook. Prime, Hook and the Prime of Miss Jean Brody. Yeah. And um, so we don't know what the other ones will be yet. Um, there are some suggestions that have, have come in for that. So yeah. we'll figure out what that looks like. But, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully a healthy mix across the whole of her filmography. And I was yeah. actually very encouraged when I was looking through her IMDb page because it's like, oh, we've actually covered like a lot of this. Yeah. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, we're look we are the prime source on the internet for uh audio content discussing works by dame maggie smith (laughs) that is true (laughs) i'm quite confident uh so we'll do that and then uh hopefully we'll finally get all of those done yes and we'll have a new reward yeah uh but yeah i mean but the patreon's been great like the the extra cash is really helpful Mm -hmm. um and we really appreciate how much everybody's been you know giving back to the podcast yeah um and we really are working on the swag like it's gonna happen it's just everybody involved has a day job yeah and that can be difficult yeah but uh we, we may be investing in some new sound equipment which may or may not make a difference that you can tell but uh we'll like it yeah we'll be very happy so (laughs) until next time up up yours yours downstairs downstairs. luncheon out